Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. There's more than one kind of missions trip. And with careful listening and planning, we can partner well with local ministries. We're going to talk about that and more. This is the Engaging Missions Show, Episode 204 with Gina Thomas. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks so much for joining us. Our goal is to equip, challenge, and inspire you to connect, care, give, and go. This week, we're going to be talking about kinds of missions trips, pursuing justice in missions, preparation, and partnership. I'm also going to share with you a story about what computer struggles can have to do with faith, ministry, and this show. So stick around. You're going to want to catch that. It'll be at the end. I want to also welcome Brian, Ernie, Carol, and Jen, who recently liked the Engaging Missions Facebook page. If you'd like to do that, you can visit facebook.com slash engagingmissions. Now, I want to mention that we've been in the middle of a series for quite some time now on short-term missions. We're getting near the end of that, which is appropriate because we're just about at the end of the typical North American short-term missions season. So I'm in the process now of booking guests for the rest of the year. I already have a couple of them lined up, including a conversation about writing support letters. If you know somebody who might benefit from being on this show, please send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. And with that, we're going to go ahead and start spending some time with Gina Thomas. All right, today I am so excited to have with me Gina Thomas. She's actually joining us again. She's been on the show before, but she's joining us this time to focus more specifically on the different kinds of short-term missions trips that we can take. If you've read her book, A Smoldering Wick, or you maybe joined us for the Twitter chat back on June 1st of 2017, you've maybe already met her online or met her through her book, so you'll know her heart. But today we're going to go a little bit deeper. So Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. It is my pleasure to connect with you again. As you know, as I've connected with people over the last three years or so, there are a few people that just keep kind of coming back. And I really appreciate being able to, to connect and to get to know people on more than just sort of a drive-by relationship. Now, you've written a book, you've been a vocational missionary, but I'm wondering, what's been your involvement with short-term missions? Yeah, I actually started going on short-term missions when I was 16 years old. So I've been on several different short-term missions trips to several different countries. And that's really what got me started into becoming a vocational missionary. 
Cool. Now, one of the things that we kind of touched on when we were preparing for our Twitter chat about short-term missions was that, you know, a lot of times there's a a bit of negativity around short-term missions, and clearly there are some things that we could do better. But as we get started, I'd also like to focus on some of the good things that come out of that. And I'm wondering, what's maybe one or two good things that you've seen come out of short-term missions? I have seen, well, first of all, one of the biggest things I think is my own story is not much different from many long-term missionaries that I know. A lot of long-term missionaries have become that after having gone on short-term missions trips. That's, I think, one positive, certainly one positive thing that comes from it. Another thing is just there have been certain short-term missions that I've seen personally that have been actual true partnerships between a church in the United States and a church in Mexico specifically where I was, but just kind of seeing that idea of sister churches come together Mm. was, was really beautiful. Yeah, that's really good. And I guess, you know, kind of on the flip side, there's definitely, you know, a lot of stuff going around, a lot of negativity, a lot of things that could be done better. You know, sometimes people going on something that's called a missions trip, that's really more of a vacation And you touched on a few of those kinds of things in your book, but you also touched on some things that you've seen that have been done really well that we could learn from. And I'm wondering, could you maybe share one or two ways that you've seen short-term missions done well? Yeah, I think one particular instance that comes up in the book that was just very surprising to me and really helped me understand that short-term missions doesn't need to be something that you just fully negate was a particular group of people that had come several times to where we, where we worked and lived in Mexico. And as I was talking one time to the pastor, Pastor David, who was our local pastor, asking him questions about short-term missions, he said that this particular church group had asked him for financial records and had asked him what they had done as a church, as a local church, what other buildings they had built prior to and after that particular church came and helped with the school building. And he said that if it was any other church, he would have said, I'm not going to tell you, I don't need to tell you. But specifically with them, he was very open and willing to talk to them about it and to give them that information. And he said that he saw it as a way of them really trying to, you know, root what they were doing in what the local church was doing and not create dependency. Uh. And it was a way of accountability. And he saw it as that, which was a really beautiful thing that he didn't immediately think, I don't know, I'm not going to do this. But because of the relationship that they had built together, they had been down there probably three or four times at that point in time. So they had an ongoing relationship. But just to see how simply that ongoing relationship had produced something so beautiful. Yeah, I I like that. And, you know, as you were sharing that, it reminded me, having read that in the book and then forgotten it, you know, as I was reading that, I, 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 I was kind of thinking, okay, that's great that they were able to ask that and that they had that relationship. But that kind of relationship doesn't happen in a, a couple of minutes, right? It takes a, a bit of time. How how do we get to a place where we're asking for an appropriate level of accountability for the relationship that we have and allowing it to grow so that we're not asking for something that we shouldn't, you know, that, that the relationship doesn't support yet, but also just not even trying? Yeah, that's a really good question to be asking. I mean, certainly... As, we, as you think about individual relationships with different friends that you might have when you're talking to an acquaintance, you're not going to necessarily tell that person your deepest, darkest secrets. Mm-hmm. But when you have someone who has been a part of your life for a long time, who you can go to at 3 a.m. if you're having an issue, then 
those are the kinds of people that you'll be able to talk to that, that kind of stuff. So I think in the same way that we have individual relationships, we can also look at organizational relationships and try to think through, is this appropriate? Is this not? Is this something that they'd be willing to talk to us about or is it not? And if it's not, and if it's a relationship that, you know, has been established for a certain amount of time, then there's probably something wrong there. Mm. But I think, I think for the most part, when it comes to missions, if it's, if it's an ongoing relationship, hopefully it's one in which you can ask those questions and you can, you know, without offense, I think it's, it's important to have those relationships. Uh, that's good. And just to be a little bit transparent, that kind of thing is really hard for me. I tend to be a checklist guy. So I want to find somebody that wrote an article and said, you ask them these five questions and, and you know exactly, right? Uh, and, and I'm not quite sure what brings that out, but I, I appreciate the depth of that answer, right? Because it's true. It really is a relationship. And for those of us who maybe struggle a little bit with those kind of things, maybe we, maybe there's somebody else in our lives that can help us understand that. Do you find that particular people are generally better at this? Is is there some kind of personality that's good at this kind of thing? Well, that's a really good question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that, but as you're saying that you're more of a checklist kind of person, I'm definitely like that too. I am certainly, I'm an introvert. Mm. My husband is an extrovert. And <laughs> when it comes to relationships, I think for him, they just seem to come so much easier because he's willing to open up and talk to people. And in our coffee shop in Mexico, he was he was the guy you just, you know, talk to random strangers and doesn't have a problem doing that, doesn't have a problem opening up to people. Whereas I'm like, oh, okay, this is making me a little bit uncomfortable. I think it's time to go like <laughs> in my hermit state for a minute so I could recoup and come back out here. But I do think that there's certainly at times situations in which it's easier depending on your personality. But I do also think that when it comes to some of those biblical principles, and I talk about in my book about justice and how that means a life of right relationship and how, you know, whether, whether we're, we seem to be geared for it or not, we're kind of called to be in relationship and be pursuing that. So. Yeah, man, that's, that's hard sometimes. So <laughs> I, I guess I kind of want to now take a little bit of a shift and, and we're going to focus a little bit more specifically on some of the different kinds of short-term missions trips. I think that we're generally all familiar with, you know, going someplace to build something. And maybe we've heard of going someplace to do evangelism or some kind of EBS. But I think really those two kind of only scratch the surface. And you wrote about several kinds of opportunities in your book. I'm wondering, could you maybe just share a little bit about the different kinds of trips that people might go on? Sure. One of the one of the trips that I talk about in the book, which was probably one of the most, for me personally, one of the best trips that we experienced was what I would call an encouraging trip. And that's where I, in, a, in the book, I lay out between one and four people. Typically, it, it can't really be too much more than that because I'm not sure it would be encouraging beyond <laughs> that just because there's so much work that has to be done on the missionary and the long-term missionary side to actually allow for more than four people to come down. But just where a small amount of people come down and go and like just encourage the long-term missionaries that are there. I mean, I think most of the, the listeners know and audiences have heard that long-term missionary work is, is pretty lonely and can get really, it's just easy to feel isolated when you don't feel like you're a part fully of either the culture you came from or the culture that you're in. Mm-hmm. So you kind of always feel like you don't really have a home or that you only have a partial home in certain areas. And so having a trip, having a group of people come from potentially your home church to just encourage you and walk with you and 
talk to you deeply about what's going on. It is a really big deal. It was for us, for my husband and I, it was definitely one of the most impressionable trips that came down where we were just kind of at a crossroads in our life. And I think it was about four, four guys that had come down and we knew them all pretty well. And they just really spoke into us and spoke into our lives. And it was just wonderful. So that's, yeah, that's one that I would say is my favorite. (laughs) And then another trip is, is just a listening trip. Mm -hmm. I talk about this in the book as well, where it's just, you know, one or two leaders from a, from a sending community that are going to a receiving community and basically just trying to figure out if, if they were to bring and partner with that area, if it would actually be mutually beneficial for both congregations or communities, however you want to call it from an actual STM that comes down. And, and that kind of trip is really, it seems like it's something that would maybe be a waste of money. I think for maybe some missions agencies, they might look at it and think, well, you're not doing anything if you're just going to go down and listen. Hmm. But I think in the long run, it's, it's the foundation for an actual partnership between two, two communities to actually create sister churches. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big one actually for me. I, I think those are really important, but you know, they can often look like they're not effective from the standpoints of a financial committee, <laughs> yeah. but in the long run, I think that they're very effective. So. Yeah, you know, I th- I think I remember our missions pastor once saying that he, at least now, he will never take a group to a missionary that he's not met personally. Mm. Not because he doesn't care about them, but because he cares about them and he also cares about the people that he's taking. And he wants to go there and make sure that he sees what's going on, that he experiences it a little bit so that he knows that he's bringing the right group of people to the right, the right missionary. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Are there any other kinds of trips or opportunities that we need to consider? I don't have any other specific ones in mind, but just the concept of doing a partnership analysis, I think is really important to determine what type of trip to take. And that, that analysis is just basically trying to figure out, like I said, with the listening trip, trying to figure out if this is mutually beneficial. I think a lot of times we plan trips and and prepare trips that maybe are, maybe we see the benefits for one particular community, but not necessarily the benefits for the other. And I think it should be equal. So yeah, and if I remember right, I think you even covered that in your book. Is that do I remember that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I exactly. so I guess if if you're listening and you want to know more about that, Gina has quite a bit of information in her book, and you'll want to check that out. It's called A Smoldering Wick. I didn't bring her on her just to sell the book or anything like that, but <laughs> it, it really is a good resource. Now, flipping the script, though, Gina, we, we've also heard sometimes about trips that basically just turn into being tourism that's called a missions trip. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, are, are there any concerns or anything that we need to consider to make sure that we keep our focus and our preparation toward actually ministering? Yeah, definitely. I think those concerns are quite valid. The concept of vacationaries or <laughs> whatever the the fun term is that they have at this point in time, but it's really important to make sure that this is a trip first and foremost that is actually serving the community that we think we're serving. I think a lot of times without proper communication between the two groups, it can easily be assumed that what we're doing is serving when we're actually kind of, we're kind of like, what is the word we have to change their, they have to change their schedule around so that we can come. So if we can, instead of like, we need to add to their ministry, not take away from their ministry. And I think a lot of times we, we end up taking away from it 
For example, we had teams that would come down at the beginning of June in Mexico and the Mexican school year, at least where we were, went through most of June. So school was not out until really the end of June. And so if you have a team coming down at the beginning of June, then most of us who are English teachers who are helping out at the school would have to take time away from our classes in order to help with the, mm. with the trip that came down. So things like that, where it's like, we're, you know, it's not just about accommodating a group of people to come into a, a new community. It's about actually allowing that group of people to be in addition to augment the ministry that you're doing there already. So I think those are important things to consider. Oh, f- for sure. And, and, you know, we've talked about preparation, about being focused, about having a goal, making sure that we're building a relationship, having a, a good focus. Once we get there, though, everything can change from time to time. How important is it to be flexible? <laughs> yeah, it is H-U-G-E, huge. Flexibility is, without a doubt, one of the most needed qualities <laughs> on a short-term trip. Mm. I think that that plays into attitudes and humility. And I think most of the teams that I've seen that come down with an attitude of humility that says we're learners, we're not the ones in charge here, but we want to learn from you. It's a lot easier for them to be flexible than those who come down and say, we have this plan. We want to do these things and we want to check these things off our list. Kind of like my personality leads to where I'm like, okay, let's do this, this, and this. And then we can say that we're successful. Yeah. And I think typically most Americans are that are geared that way as part of our culture. So just, you know, flexibility is, is quite large. And if, you know, if we don't, I think if you think of short-term missions more in light of relationship rather than in light of we have to get this, this, and this done. So relationship rather than accomplishment, I think that it's a lot easier to be flexible and it's okay if we just hang out with people. It's okay if we just build relationships with people. It's okay if we just play soccer because we need to do something while other people are discussing how we can handle certain situations. Like everything suddenly becomes okay. It's not so much that we absolutely have to accomplish these certain things. So, What does it mean to a missionary if their group, the group that's visiting is able to walk in grace and humility and be flexible? It's it's really amazing. You know, one of the, the struggles in being a long-term missionary when you have short-term teams come down that are not flexible is that, unfortunately, without realizing it, that group that has come down is portraying who, like, let's say that the long-term missionary is from the States, like, and this group that has come down is from the States. So what this group is portraying to everyone else in the community is that this is how Americans look and act and and this is how they deal with things. And so you have a reflection that has come now upon the long-term missionary that they either, you know, hopefully if they've got, if they've been there for a good while and they have decent relationships with people, then they can kind of readjust that, that idea, but it also just automatically happens. And then for people who random people, like let's say that somebody comes to a VBS event and they're not part of the church and they haven't been apart for a long time, but they just happen to come and they see Americans who are doing things that just don't seem very, I don't know, serving. Mm. And then that person then thinks that a long-term missionary is going to be that way too. And I'm not saying that this is all has to be about, you know, giving a long-term missionary a good reputation, (laughs) but it's certainly part of the process. And yeah. So, and it, and it helps it either, allows them to be more effective or it makes them have to kind of go back and like 
debrief everyone yeah. <laughs> after the Americans leave. So, okay, you know, I guess as I'm thinking about this, I had planned to ask also some questions about, you know, what 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 are the questions that we should be asking ourselves as leaders or as members or perhaps even as a hosting group. And I think I'd like to leave the bulk of those for people to read your book, because I think a lot of that stuff is in there. But I'm wondering if if you could have every person that either led or went on a short-term missions trip ask themselves and ask God one question before they ever signed on the dotted line, so to speak, what would that question be? Hmm. That question would be, are we acting as rich saviors or are we acting as equal partners in this missions trip? And I'm assuming that there's a best answer for that. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope that we would not be acting as rich saviors, but as equal partners, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. Uh, And I'm thinking now, uh, so maybe a group's gone out, they've had a great time, they've had maybe even a really good experience, but they've come back home. How can they continue to build on that godly partnership and that relationship over time? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is making sure to build on it over time. I think it's a lot more, it's, it's a lot more sexy with, for lack of a better word to kind of go around to different countries and to have a bunch of different stamps in your passport from different places and kind of see the world in a way rather than just going back to the same place over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But those relationships between you know, going to random places are, are never going to be deep if they're not built on. So I think it's, it's very important to make sure that we are returning. And if we aren't returning to a certain space, then have a good reason for, for why we're not. I mean, hopefully it's because, you know, the two groups determined between themselves that it wasn't mutually beneficial for them to, to continue to, to act as sister churches, but hopefully Overall, that's, that's the attitude and that's the heart behind it all. What kinds of things is God able to accomplish when we do build those long-term relationships and continue to invest in each other? I think one of the biggest things is, is gaining a, a more, I don't know if this is the best way to say it, but gaining a better picture of what the gospel truly is. Hmm. I think all of us in all of our cultures, we have certain cultural biases that are just going to happen. They're naturally there. And when we have partnerships and brothers and sisters of another nation and we can see what the gospel is like for them and their culture and their context. And we can start to kind of see better what it is for us. And we can start to pull out some of the things that we assumed were actually the gospel that are not actually the gospel, mm. but are just part and pieces of our cultural bias that we've always associated as the gospel. So let me give you an example. I, yeah. when I was, let's see, I think it was in Nicaragua, one of the churches that I went to there, they had like pictures of a black Jesus in the church. Mm. And I was like, what is that about? Yeah. That's really weird. And then also like, as we were, as we talked to some of the people and I, I lived there for about three months and traveled there a couple of times too, but just kind of, it was easy for me to pick out certain pieces of what they thought Christianity was and say, this isn't really Christianity. This is just kind of cultural ideas mixed in with what the gospel really is. But I never, until probably I was a long-term missionary, I never thought, hey, I'd do that myself. Mm. I always just thought that was something that they did, like as if as if I was above them and I would never <laughs> do such a thing. <laughs> 
So I think it's really important as we try to gain a better perspective of what the gospel is in the world. Those partnerships are key in doing that. And that that's good. And you you, you kind of jumped right ahead because I was going to ask you what kinds of cultural biases that we have, and you, you jumped right into that. So <laughs> I, I'm loving that. I, you know, we prayed beforehand that God would guide our conversation. So I'm just believing that He's doing that. Now, as as we think about people going, you know, p- part of this, as you outlined in your book, is that maybe we need to consider having an application process that for a particular kind of trip, if what you need are computer programmers, then it probably doesn't do you a whole lot of good to bring somebody who can't even turn the computer on. Right. (laughs) And and by the same token, if you need something built, that's not going to fall apart. You probably shouldn't bring me when you do that kind of thing. (laughs) Sometimes maybe you have to tell people no. And I'm wondering how would you encourage people in their walk and also let them know that, Hey, this might not be the right opportunity or the right time for you. Yeah, I think there are so many opportunities at this day and age for short-term missions that I feel like it's it's relatively easy to find a different route for people to go on. If mm. let's say that I'm a church leader and I'm trying to, to build up a team to go somewhere for a certain thing and I need computer programmers and somebody's not, I feel like there are so many resources. There are so many missions agencies, a lot of sending agencies that have different types of trips that it seems like it would be relatively easy to find one good for a person who is, I don't know, more interested in building or something like that. Hmm. But I, I do think it's really important that attitudes are just as filtered as, as aptitude. And I, I'm not sure that I can stress that enough, but I feel like it's, it's, it, there were times where people who were very capable of doing what they were doing had horrible attitudes doing it. And That in and of itself is also just another way in which, you know, we're ambassadors for Christ, but we're also ambassadors for our nation and for our nation's church, if that makes sense. So as Americans, we are American church ambassadors. And when we come down with horrible attitudes, it does reflect on the American church. So I don't know if that helps or. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other thing I'm thinking about this is, you know, Sometimes I would suspect that people go and their first experience serving on a short-term trip of any kind, even like a Saturday afternoon or something like that, might be a 10-day overseas trip in a completely different culture. Is that a good idea? <laughs> I would suggest no. I A lot of people will say things like, "If well, recently I've heard several people say stuff like, if you're not doing it at home, then you shouldn't be doing it abroad. And I, I would... Highly agree with that. If there's if there's no way in which you're getting involved in the local community, I'm not sure that you can actually fully bring what you think you need to or you think you should be able to to a foreign context. Because the heart and the the mission and the attitude behind serving locally is the same heart and attitude and mission behind actually going overseas. And if you don't cultivate that in your local context, then it's going to be a lot harder to cultivate it or at least to build on it. You know, you hear about some people who go on mission trips and then they come home and then they just, they're not involved in church anymore. They totally forgot about, you know, their trip and things like that. And I think part of it is that, you know, you have to till the, the soil before you actually plant the seed. And when it comes to missions, it's certainly no different than when it comes to salvation or anything like that. Is that we have to make sure that we're building on principles that we can actually live out in our regular life rather than thinking that, oh, we can just go do this for 10 days and then, you know, we'll be good. And we can show the rest of the world how to do it, but then we'll come home and not do it ourselves. 
Yeah, that's that's good. Principles that we can live out in our lives. That's that's really important. We, we've talked a lot about trying to discern whether this might be the right opportunity. But one of the things that I hear from time to time is people who say, hey, I think God's calling me to do this. But then there there's this fear about, can I get time off from work? Can I raise the money? What would you share with somebody if they are absolutely convinced that God is calling them to this opportunity? Everything checks out, but they're really worried about signing on the dotted line, so to speak, because of money or time off from work or something like that. I would say that the fear is good thing. It's like, it's a reality check that says, Hey, is this for real? And a lot of times our fears often lead us to faith. Like if we don't, if we're not afraid of something, then how can we really have faith for something? And so for me personally, most of my strongest faith building times have been right after being very much afraid. (laughs) And I think, I think it's part of the process. It's certainly not something that, you know, is just going to go away you know, with a click of a wand or something like God is not, he's not a genie. (laughs) And, but he does, he certainly comes through and in amazing ways. And if we don't push through that fear to lead us to faith, then we'll never see those amazing ways that he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Yeah, that's good. You know, as, as I think through scripture, I can't think of any instance, and maybe I'm just missing one, but I can't think of any instance where I saw somebody in Scripture growing in their faith who wasn't growing through something where they had to trust God in the face of something that seemed contrary to that. And that, man, that's that's a really big deal. We're going to have your book linked up in the show notes. So, you know, for, for those of you that are listening, if you're interested in checking out her book, Gina's book, A Smoldering Wick, I do recommend that you do that. That'll be in the, in the show notes. However, Gina, I'm wondering, is there another book or another resource that you'd like to recommend for people who are considering short-term missions? Yeah, I think it's the, the same resource that I, that I told your audience last time around, but it's absolutely my favorite book on, on missions. And it, it's called Walking with the Poor. It's by Bryant Myers, and he worked for a long time with World Vision. And it's it's really a, from a Christian practitioner's perspective, but I think it has a lot to offer the world of missions, for sure. Good stuff. And Gina, how can we best pray for you? <laughs> well, I am I'm kind of in the midst of doing a lot of different things and feeling kind of pulled in many directions. So if you could pray for just discernment and, yeah, just trying to figure out where to put my time towards being a mom of two little kids and <laughs> and also trying to find a church home. I would love some prayer for oh, that because okay. we're, we're trying to do that right now too. So that would be wonderful. Yeah. So I would just like to encourage you to take a minute, pause this and actually pray for Gina. I know from my experience, it is super easy to forget, to think I'll get to it later, and then I don't. And that's to my detriment, because I believe that God is accomplishing his will, whether we join him in that or not. But I'd like to encourage you to do that, to join your prayers and your faith with Gina as they're as they're working through this, learning how to do life and also looking for a church home. So just take that time to pray for her. Gina, I want to say a huge thank you. I'm really thankful that you joined us to talk about this today. Thank you so much, Brian. And one quick question for you. How can we all be praying for you? Oh, man. You know, for for wisdom and clarity and for ongoing integrity. 
I think I wrote a, a couple months ago about how, you know, I have a job and I minister in a church as a lay person. I have a family and I have this. And so trying to walk all of that with integrity and not feeling like I'm trying to steal from one master to serve another, that, that's really hard. And I really want to do that well so that what I do glorifies God. And I could really use some prayer in that. That's good. Definitely praying. And thank you for asking. Thank you so much for doing this. I love what you're doing and how you're helping missions move forward. It's awesome. Well, thanks, Gina. I appreciate you joining us. All right. If you enjoy the Engaging Missions show and are looking for other podcasts or audiobooks related to missions or missional living or church planting, I'd like to recommend that you check out the Missio Church podcast. You'll find that linked up at missionalaudio.com, where you can also find a number of other podcasts or audiobooks related to missions and that kind of thing. I think that you might enjoy this. It's at least worth giving it an opportunity to check it out. It's the Missio Church podcast. You'll find that at missionalaudio.com. And if you know of another podcast or an audio book that might be a great addition to Missional Audio, stop by missionalaudio.com and suggest it there. I would love to make this an amazingly complete resource for the body of Christ to connect with and to find amazing resources like the Missio Church podcast. That's missionalaudio.com. So what does a computer problem have to teach us about missions in life? I mentioned at the beginning that I was going to talk about this, and here's the deal. I sometimes wonder how often we struggle through life without seeing what could be done to make things better. I know this kind of thing sometimes affects me, and I suspect it might also affect you. And as I was thinking, you know, this this actually has affected me at work sometimes quite a bit. There was a time a couple of years ago now where at work I was having some real problems getting some stuff done. There were some really big files I needed to work with, a lot of different pieces of data, because as an analyst, I tend to work with a lot of data. And when I was in a meeting with my boss at the time about this, he asked a really simple question. He said, well, have you contacted anybody to see if you can get your computer upgraded? Now, the company that I work for, there's a typical upgrade cycle. And so every two to three years or so, you can kind of expect to get a new computer. And I wasn't due for a new computer. But his point was, if what you have isn't sufficient to get the job done, then maybe you should ask for something more significant. So we did that, and I was able to get a pretty significant upgrade on the computer. Now, it's not personally mine. It still belongs to the company. But with that computer, I was able to accomplish some of the things that I didn't do before. And I think maybe sometimes that affects us in other areas of our lives. And I wonder sometimes if... Metaphorically speaking, we're working with an inferior computer or inferior soft software or, truthfully, inferior stuff. And I don't necessarily mean that we should have to have the, the greatest or the best stuff, but things that don't work simply because we haven't been willing to ask for an upgrade. And my question would be, is there something in your life where what you have isn't meeting your needs and have you talked to God about it? And if you have... If he's given you a suggestion like, it's time to ask for an upgrade, have you done that? I'm wondering sometimes if we are hesitant to ask our friends or our partners, our ministry supporters, the people in our lives, to help us upgrade something so that we can be more effective. So my question would be then to follow that up, 
if there's something in your life that you're not able to do and you haven't yet asked God or you haven't yet asked for the opportunity to upgrade whatever it is that's not working, maybe take a minute to do that. And really specifically, because I want to continue to improve this show, if there's something about the Engaging Missions show that you you don't like or that could be upgraded, I'd like you to ask me for that opportunity. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com because sometimes God might speak to me through you. And if you haven't been willing to ask for that upgrade, maybe I, I haven't had the opportunity to do that. So again, shoot an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. We've heard from Gina Thomas about just missions. And we've also talked about what a computer can teach us about life and missions. We're near the end of the series on short-term missions, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but I'm also in the middle of a fundraiser for Global Initiative. If you're interested in finding out more about Global Initiative and why I'm raising funds for their ministry, visit engagingmissions.com slash fund16. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Gina for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate her being involved in this, and also to Jeff and Gabby for the work that they do on the Engaging Missions show. Show notes for this week's episode are available at engagingmissions.com slash Gina Thomas 2. That's Gina Thomas and the number 2. That's a great way to connect with our guests and also to find links to valuable resources. Make sure that you come back next week. We're going to be hearing from Brian Thompson, who recently returned from some trips that he's been taking to Africa and really all over the world. We're going to talk to him also about short-term missions. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe to make sure that you don't miss that episode. And if you found this valuable or you know somebody who might really benefit from what we talked about today, please take a minute and share that with them. Whether you talk to them, give them a phone call, shoot them an email, or share it on social media, you might be the person that God uses to create a connection, to deepen a relationship, or provide valuable resources as you sow into His kingdom. Thanks again so much for being here. I really appreciate you and that you took the time to be here today. I look forward to connecting again next week. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.